Good morning, New Life Church. Let's stand together and worship this morning. Let's put our hands together like this.
His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is our response. 1 Peter 1.3, praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is our testimony. So as we worship, we sing it out. We lift out our response. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written, Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of Step down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever.
to us, to open the gates to us through his son, but also to send us the Holy Spirit to be a comforter and our friend. And today on Pentecost Sunday, I want us to get into that same practice, that same posture that the apostles went into when they asked for the Holy Spirit to come. They waited with their hands lifted. Let's just lift our hands as an act of waiting, an act of surrender. Holy Spirit, would you come? We make room for you here. Would you be among us? Fall on us.
that day of Pentecost, the disciples waiting for something, what they probably didn't know for sure. And in their waiting, the spirit comes and there's a filling and an empowering so that then when they are sent, when they're going, that they are filled and empowered with the spirit of God to continue the mission of God and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And today we get to pray in a very, very practical way for that kingdom come and that will be done in and through us and in our congregation as we get to send the leaders of Royal Family Kids Camp up to a week of camp today. So I wanna invite all of the volunteer leaders of Royal Family to come and line the front and stand up here and face everyone. Come on. Y'all, COVID disrupted way too much. And it has been three years since we've been able to do a full overnight week at camp experience. 2019 was the last time. 
nothing in 2020, a little parking lot experience. 2021, we did a day camp, but we're going back into the mountains. And what Royal Family Camp is, if you don't know, it's a week sleepaway camp where Royal Family, which is a national organization, partners and is run through a local church, which in this context is New Life Church, New Life Downtown, to take kids in the local foster care. So kids that are currently in foster care or have been connected to foster care recently, and all the abuse and all the trauma that they've gone through that's landed them in foster care, to take them into the sanctuary of God's creation up in the mountains for a week of sleepaway camp where they are loved radically, where they are provided for generously and abundantly, where they are told that they have value and have worth, that they were made on purpose and their life has purpose. And we see how love covers a multitude of sins and not these kids' sins, but the sins done against them. We see how love works itself out in those spaces. And that from Monday to Saturday this week, their lives are gonna be different and they're gonna be changed and resilience and hope is gonna be seated in their souls. And the kingdom of God will come and be empowered through these leaders to minister to these kids in our local county's foster care. So there's a couple things we're gonna do prayer-wise. Right now, we're gonna pray for them. So I want you to stretch out your hands. And then also, as you leave, there's gonna be these prayer bracelets on the way out. And it'll have the name of a big camper, which is all these guys, because they don't need another counselor. Those kids have enough of that. They need big campers to love on them well. Or a little camper. And those little campers' names are the ones that are going up and they're gonna be ministered to. So we want you to take those and wear them all week long. And when you see them, pray for those people on those bracelets. So stretch out your hands. We're gonna pray for them right now. Father God, we thank you on this Pentecost Sunday that you did not leave us, but you sent to us your spirit, the helper, that he would teach us and remind us all that you have done and he would empower us for the work that you were gonna continue to do. And that this week has been set apart. It is holy. And we pray and we commission it in that Royal Family Kids Camp, that your spirit would go before us and fill that campsite in the mountains, preparing the work of God and the kingdom of God and your love to encounter these kids this week. And for those here in this room, as they're taking a week of their summer or a week of vacation time to invest and to be on mission for your kingdom, I pray fill them now with your power for all that is set before them. Fill them with your strength and endurance enough for every day. Fill them with rest and refreshment at night when they sleep. Fill them with peace and patience and self-control for all the things that they're gonna face. Fill them with your power and your love that the love of Christ would be in them, dwelling richly in them and compel them, that the word of Christ would dwell in them and that they would speak to these kids as though the very words of Christ being spoken and that these kids, just like you speak God and life happens, that's how you create, that they would speak to these kids in such a way that life would be burst in their souls this week. They would love them in such a way that broken places would be mended and hopeless places would find hope in Jesus. We thank you for these here, these leaders. We thank you for these kids, which you're bringing to camp. And in all of it, from today until Saturday and all of it in between, we commit as holy and set apart for your kingdom come and your will be done. Have your way here on earth and royal family camp as it is in heaven. And Jesus, let your kingdom reign. Let the risen and exalted Christ reign in this place and in camp. So here we are, God, waiting. Fill us now with your power. 
and send us out with that power to be your hands and your feet in the body of Christ in all the world. To your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank God for all these guys? Come on. Oh, it is good. You guys can take a seat. If you see a big camper, give them a hug. They're going to need it. You're going to receive a lot of things, not hugs this week. It's going to need it. As we do continue in service, just want to talk about our giving. These guys are giving a full week of camp and all of us have been working and there's maybe a return on that. And we recognize that the gifts we have are from God. The return, maybe fiscal, is from God. And we offer it back as to worship and to God, our first and our best. So there's four ways to give at New Life. You can give in the boxes that are out in the lobby. You can give online or on the app. If you do that, just make sure to mark New Life Downtown as the congregation. Or you can give via mail, old school. Beloved, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with you. Take a moment, even though you've already sat down. I know that was long, but take a moment, sitting or standing, and meet those around you. Ready, go. morning. My name is Martha, and the Old Testament reading is found in 1 Samuel 10, 5 through 6. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps, being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. The Word of the Lord. Be 
Good morning, my name is Kay. And the New Testament reading is found in Romans 8, 5 through 8. People whose lives are based on selfishness think about selfish things. But people whose lives are based on the Spirit think about things that are related to the Spirit. The attitude that comes from selfishness leads to death. But the attitude that comes from the Spirit leads to life and peace. So the attitude that comes from selfishness is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law because it can't. People who are self-centered aren't able to please God. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Tamara. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Just remain standing, if you would. During this season, which kind of culminates today, the Easter season is a long kind of seven-week stretch. Uh, We've been saying the Apostles' Creed together. So remain standing. We're going to say this. This is an old, old confession of Christian belief. So let's say these words together. You ready? We believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us today. We ask now that even as we open up the scriptures, that you would open up our hearts and help us to see you, to hear you, to respond and um, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's getting to that summertime mode. Anybody already started on some house projects? Maybe there's some yard work you need to do. Maybe there's things you want to build uh, the other day I was at a friend's house and he had this like beautiful pergola thing. And I said, where'd you get that from? He's like, it was, he said, it's from Costco, super easy to build. And I said, my friend, you do not know me. I don't know what your experience has been like when you buy these things, uh, you know, whether it's Target furniture or Ikea furniture or something from Wayfair and it comes in these boxes and you're like, how is that a couch? You know? And then you start to, and there's instructions there, and you're like, okay, maybe the instructions will help. But at some point, you recognize that having the instructions is not the same thing as having the ability. (laughs) Like, you have the instructions. I've got the manual, but I don't have the power. I don't know how to do this. Uh, This is Pentecost Sunday. 
This is the Sunday where Christians all around the world commemorate or mark or remember the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Katie was talking about that during worship this morning. Pentecost Sunday, is, it's a reference to the story that we can read in the book of Acts chapter 2 where the disciples were huddled up in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell on them and there was a rushing wind and tongues of fire and they're speaking in languages of the people around them though they themselves did not know how to speak those languages. But Pentecost was a Jewish tradition before it became a Christian tradition. Pentecost in Jewish tradition commemorated a different day. It commemorated the day of the giving of the Torah. In fact, yesterday, if you were on social media, you could have seen the trending topic in a Hebrew culture or in Jewish tradition. You'd see people talking about the breads that they were baking and the ways that they can commemorate this feast of the giving of the Torah. And we read that story in the book of Exodus where Moses is up on Sinai and God gives his law to the people. Now think about this for a moment. Torah is the word that just means teaching or instruction. In the Old Testament, we are given the teaching on Pentecost. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, we are given the teacher. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come and he'll teach you into all truth, about all truth. He'll remind you of everything that I've said. We need more than instructions. We need a guide. We need someone to come alongside us and say, this is how you live this way. But actually, we need even more than that. Where the giving of the Torah was the giving of knowledge or information, even a revelation about God, that's good. We need information. We need a revelation of who God is. But we need more than that. We need transformation. I don't just want information about God, even if it's divinely revealed information about God. That's great. We've been in this series called Who is God for a couple months now. And for the first part of this series, we talked about who is God, the Father, the first person of the Trinity. The second part of this series, we've talked about who is God, the Son, Jesus. And now for the last several weeks, we've been in the part of the series that says who is God, the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk about the Spirit as the Spirit of transformation. The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of transformation. Now right off the bat, maybe you hear the word transformation and you think, okay, i got to be different. And you're, you're, you're maybe thinking like, okay, Glenn, I, I don't know how different I really am. I don't know how different my life really is. And, and does it even matter? And so maybe the first question we have to grapple with as a sort of preamble today is why does transformation matter? Why does it, I mean, Glenn, like, am I going to go to heaven? Or am I going to go to hell? Like, is God grading me? Is he grading on a curve? Like, if I'm a little bit different, if I'm a lot different, does it really matter? And I want to suggest to you this morning that actually the way grace works is it's a gift that's meant to change everything. We've had a couple friends this summer who, or this spring, who just had their first child. And it's an amazing thing to watch how it changes everything about your life. And we say children are a gift from the Lord. They are indeed. And it changes the way you think about everything. All of a sudden you're driving differently. You're like thinking about your home differently. Like, oh my gosh, that's a hazard right there. Or maybe you're just, maybe there's other things about your, you, you start, it's, it's a gift that actually changes you. And it's an imperfect metaphor, but that's how grace works. Grace is a gift that's meant to actually produce change in us. And so it's a, it's a kind of a, 
it's a cheapened version of grace when we think of grace as just sort of God saying, oh, never mind. Grace is not the gift of a second chance and God saying, try again. Grace is a gift that is meant to create a new relationship with God. We've talked about this repeatedly, even throughout this series. In the ancient world, you gave a gift to someone in order to establish a relationship with them and sometimes to reinforce a relationship with them. But what's radical about the way God gives gifts is God gives grace to the unworthy. God doesn't give gifts to the worthy and says, you're worthy, you should be my friend. Let me give you these gifts. God gives gifts to the unworthy and as a result, we become worthy. And we become children of God and we become, and we understand grace when we talk about the gift of Jesus Christ. But grace also shows up in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Grace shows up not only in the gift of Jesus, but it shows up in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just say again, as part of a little preamble this morning, that grace establishes a relationship, creates a new reality, and generates a return or a response. It's meant to generate a response. So when we say, well, why does transformation matter? Because it's God saying, I saved you so that you could join me in my work in the world. And I saved you so that I could make you more like me, so that I could restore to you that image-bearing design that you already have. I made you a child of God so you could look like the Son of God. Does that make sense? And so when we're talking about transformation, it's not about earning our way into God's family. We've already been saved by grace. It's not about extra credit that's optional. It's just all part of the same story. Grace is what God does to establish a relationship with us, to create a new reality. I'm now a child of God and to produce this right living response to him. And so we might say right up front here that the Holy Spirit is how God's grace works in us to transform us. The Holy Spirit is not just about comfort and peace and good feelings or all the the things we've already talked about, gifts and teaching us and helping us in our vocation, all of those wonderful things. The Holy Spirit is trying to do all of that and the Holy Spirit is the one at work in us. If we say, God, give me grace for today, we're not saying, God, go easy on me. And sometimes we talk about grace like that. Well, have some grace, man. And what we mean is, take it easy. Nacho Libre reference, just for the uninformed. Grace is not just God going easy on you. Grace is God being committed to changing you, to saving you, to changing you, to working in you. I referenced this quote a few weeks ago, but C.S. Lewis's mentor um, said, George MacDonald said, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. That little bit of mustard seed faith, he's like, yes, I love it, but I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to keep working in you until you look like Jesus. So that's why transformation matters, but I really want to spend the bulk of our time this morning unpacking what transformation means. What does transformation actually mean? And I want to I suggest at least three things to you this morning about what transformation means, how it actually takes place and, 
and how it actually takes shape in our lives. The first one is this. Transformation means new desires. It means new desires. See, again, we're so, our, our Western kind of um, concept is the way you change a person is by giving them new information. And so we, we even talk about this when we see difficulties in society and we think, oh, we, we know what? We just need better education about X, Y, Z. And that's great. Education is important. Information is a piece. But if the, the desires are not changed, information isn't going to help. If the desires aren't transformed, aren't transformed, new information is not going to change it. Listen to the way Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, talks about the mind and links the mind with desires. Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now, some of you have been in church long enough that you know that later in Romans, Romans 12, Paul will say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, Christians, especially in the West, have taken that one verse and we're like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what we need? We need more Sunday school classes. We need Bible classes. We need Sunday school classes. We need information, information, information. I love classes. Big fan of courses. I did a lot of advanced education myself. Big fan. But when Paul says mind, he's not talking only about our brain. In Romans 8, he links the mind to desires. There's a different way of understanding the mind. And he says, the mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It's living against God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But God wants to do this work in us that actually changes our desires. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Philippians 2, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works, where? In you. In order, God who works in you to will, another translation says, to desire and to act in in order to fulfill his good purpose. What Paul is saying is, you can work out your salvation. This, This gift of God's source of salvation has some evidences. It works out. Because God is working in. We can work it out because God is working in. And what is God working in us to do? To change our desires and our actions. To desire and to do. So transformation means new desires. Sometimes maybe you're listening to this and you think, well, desires. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't want bad stuff, Glenn. Like, I'm not, I'm not out there. I don't, I don't have a desire to kill anybody. I don't have a desire to do any of these terrible things. Like, my desire, generally, I desire good things. I, I, I want to work hard. I want to provide for my family. I want to enjoy this. I want to enjoy. It's true. There was a, a pastor, a bishop in North Africa in the 400s named Augustine. And Augustine gave us some great insight into how desires and sin and righteousness really works. Augustine gives, tells the story of his conversion through the form of a memoir, but the memoir is written like a series of prayers. 
just from a literary standpoint, Augustine's Confessions broke new ground in literature. It told a memoir in the form of prayers. And by giving us this sort of you know, insight into his own heart, what Augustine taught us about desires is that sin is not just desiring the bad things. Sin is desiring good things in the wrong way. Oftentimes I'll talk to a person and they'll say, well, I don't understand, Glenn. Like, like, like God made sex and sex is good and I love this person. This person loves me. Like we're not married, but why do we have to be legalistic about it? Isn't this a good thing? And I have to say, yes, it's a good thing, but if you desire a good thing in the wrong way, it can actually become a bad thing. When you give away your body, but not your promise and commitment, you're actually fragmenting yourself. And in doing so, you're not, you're not experiencing an integrated kind of intimacy, but a fragmented kind of self. So you're desiring a good thing, companionship, physical pleasure, whatever. you're desiring a good gift, but you're desiring it in the wrong way and it's resulting in the tearing apart of who you are. Now some of you are like, oh my gosh, what did he just say? We'll do another series on sex sometimes, right? Right, Evan? We could do, we could do that. We'll let Jason do that. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> you could... You can say the same thing about money. Hey, hey, I'm just trying to make enough money to provide for my family and all that. That's great. But you can desire a good thing in the wrong way that all of a sudden you become obsessed with making more, earning more, producing more, achieving more. You can desire good things in the wrong way. And that's also what Augustine says is sin. It's not just desiring bad things, but desiring good things in the wrong way. I had a friend of mine who, who told the story of he, he, he started to get the splitting headache in the middle of the night and he was just like, oh, this is oh, so painful. And he, he, he's, he's like calling his wife. He's like, honey, can you just give me some ibuprofen or something? I've got this terrible migraine. And she's, you know, fumbling around by the bedside table and like hands him some pills. She goes, yeah, just take two of these. So he takes it. And, and he, you know, a couple hours later, it's like his headache is like even worse. It's just going terrible. And he's like, oh, he's like, man, that medicine didn't do anything. Can I take more? And he's like, it's been a few hours. And she's like, sure, here, here, just take a couple more, you know. So he takes a couple more. A few more hours go by. And the dude is just, he's like getting up now. And he's pacing. He's like, I cannot get relief from this headache. It's just pounding. And finally, he, he's like, something else is going on. My stomach is really upset. And so he goes to the bathroom. And he's just, it, it's a terrible experience. Experience. And then he starts to say, he's like, he's like, honey, what, what were the pills that you gave me? And she's, you know, still asleep. It turns on the bedside table and she says, oh no, that wasn't ibuprofen. That was stool softener. <laughs> if you don't know what stool softener is, just ask your neighbor. They'll tell you. You can desire a good thing, but in the wrong way, it's not exactly good. Transformation secondly means new decisions. It doesn't just mean new desires. It also means we're going to have to make new decisions. Keeping on with Romans 8, Paul says this in verse 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We do owe something here. Something is expected of us, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul's saying you have an obligation, but the obligation is not to the flesh, it's to the spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul says this, so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
If you want to head to the mountains and you want to end up in the mountains, you're not going to go east on I-70. The best way to make sure you don't end up in Kansas is to go west on I-70. Now, please, no more Kansas in my life. I do not want Kansas. I can't handle it. Go, then go west. Don't go east. And some of, you, some of us in our, in our walk with Jesus, we're like, listen, I don't want to end up down there. I don't want to do this thing again. I don't want to end up in another relationship that doesn't work. I don't want to. And we'll say, great. Well, the best way to do that is to walk this way, not that way. But you know, the trouble is we've kind of been programmed to only think through the lens of right versus wrong. And so, so many times, our pastoral conversations, you can ask Evan this and Martha this, I I guarantee so many of the the pastoral conversations are, well, is this wrong? And we're having to say, well, I mean, there's a better question to ask than is it wrong? Because right versus wrong, that's elementary. The next level is, is this wise or is it foolish? And you'll say, well, is it wise or is it foolish? And what might be wise for some might be foolish for another. And this is why the next layer up is not just right versus wrong or wise versus foolish. The next layer up is, is this walking in the spirit or is this walking in the flesh? That, we, we've got all kinds of layers of uh, lenses to use for our decision making. And we're like using just one lens. Is this right or is this wrong? Good for you. That's great. But our heart for, for all of us, the invitation of the Lord for all of us, is to say, take it a step further. Is this wise or is this foolish? And then take it a step further. Is this what the Spirit is asking you to walk? Is this how the Spirit is leading you? Or is it walking in the flesh for you? And that's why sometimes, sometimes I know my, the weakness of my preaching is that I don't give you a lot of application. I know that. The problem is, look around the room. How could I possibly tell every one of you what it means for you and for you and for you? I don't know. But the, the, what we have to do in church is all of us have to be open to the Holy Spirit and to say, okay, Spirit of God, what, what decisions do I need to make to stay in step with you? How do I keep in step with you? So transformation means new decisions. And then thirdly, transformation means new disciplines. Transformation means new disciplines. If you think about a decision as a trajectory, something that aims you in a direction, think of disciplines as the patterns or habits that keep you there, keep you in that direction, keep you walking in that direction. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your mind or set your heart on things above. I love this. You've been raised. That's who you are. So Set your heart on things that are above. Again, this is the way Paul talks about life in the family of God. You've been saved, so start to, conf- start to live in a new way. You've been raised up. You, there's nothing you can do to earn that. You've been raised up. But since you've been raised up, reinforce that now by setting your heart on things that are above. Where Christ is seated, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, if you're the underlining type in your Bible, you can underline that phrase, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But skip to verse 5, put to death, therefore. (laughs) Isn't this amazing? Like, if you're just reading this, you're like, I died, you told me that, Paul. And then you say, put to death. But like, which is it? 
Like, have I died or am I supposed to put it to death? And Paul's like, both. Since you've died, put to death. (laughs) This is why Paul in Romans will say, we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because we keep getting up off the altar. (laughs) And he's saying, no, 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 no. You have died. In Christ, you have died. This old you is gone. So don't allow it to come alive. (laughs) Don't start feeding it. Don't start taking care of it. Don't start nurturing it. Don't don't raise from the dead the wrong thing. Put it to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. You get the sense that Paul's working with the Colossians and he's like, all right, you put to death the obvious ones, but let's keep going here. Let's not just go with your actions. Let's talk about your words. (laughs) And he starts to kind of bring the, the focus in a little bit more narrowly. And he says, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You can underline practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. You've got a new identity. It's time to get some disciplines or practices that match that. This is um, a, a, a point about how we are made or an observation about how human beings are made that actually even people who study this from a non-religious perspective have observed. If you've read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear... He talks about the kind of habits that stick are the habits that are not related to a goal, but that are related to an identity. So if you run because you're training for a race, once that goal is reached, you probably won't run anymore, right? But good for you for running. That's more than I've done. (laughs) Or if you eat a particular way because your goal is a particular weight, not saying it should be, but people do that sort of thing. As soon as you hit that number, you go back to how you were eating. And then it's like, oh, this is off again. So instead of saying, I am a salad person, you're like, I'm on a diet. And James Clear, even from a non-religious perspective, is like, that's not going to Those habits don't stick. Habits related to goals don't stick. Habits related to an identity sticks. Now, He's talking about this just from a human perspective. Paul's like, that's how all of our life with God works. 